Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. And so we're going to continue. I'm going to preach this, uh, this message tonight, and next week we're going to finish up on this series, Pillars of Pentecost. Who's enjoyed the Pillars of Pentecost? Hallelujah. I've enjoyed preaching it. I've enjoyed studying it. I've enjoyed being in it. But guys, tonight I'm going to talk about one of my favorite things, the thing that seems to ruffle the devil's feathers almost more than anything in the world. Who knows where I'm going? It's Jesus. Yeah, but... Prosperity. Say prosperity. Some of you, you know prosperity, but that's okay. We have people that watch online, and plus this will be just, this will be good. You know, we've never grown too much where we've heard it all. Are you with me? I love that Kenneth E. Hagin, they came to him, and they were like, don't you preach anything other than faith? And he said, sure I do, but when you get faith, when you get it, when you get the revelation, you actually get a hold of it, then I'll move on to something else. You know, and, and, and I think that that's so true. There's so many Christians, they could tell you this is what the Bible has to say about prosperity, but they're not, they're not seeing the miracles in their life of it, right? They're not seeing the fruit of it in their life. And so I just pray that tonight that faith would come by hearing the word of God and that God would just speak a fresh word to you through this tonight. And so I, I've given you the history of, of the Pentecostal, uh, Pentecostalism how it was birthed in the early 1900s when the revelation came to the church of the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Praise the Lord for that. And out of that revival, out of the Azusa Street revival, was birthed this whole new kind of vein of Protestant Christianity where God began to restore the church back to the biblical truth. You had Pentecostalism, then you had the charismatic movement, which was where we got divine healing. God brought that back to the church. Hallelujah. Who's thankful for that? And then you had what's called evangelicalism, which God restored the revelation of prosperity back to the church. It wasn't a new doctrine. It wasn't a new thing. It was actually what the early church practiced, but through the years and, you know, man getting his hand on things, the church got away from it. And so today we're going to talk about the pillar prosperity. Hallelujah. I got about 50 minutes, so I got a lot of scripture. Are you guys ready? You ready to go? Amen. Come on. You, re- you really ready? You sure? Okay. Praise the Lord. So I'm just going to ask, start with this simple foundation, and I'm going to ask it in the form of a question. And I want you to answer me. Did God create man to struggle? Say no. Say no. Did God create man to struggle? There's a lot of Christians that would say no, but then they have such a problem with this message of prosperity. If you ask them, did God make man in the beginning? Did he make Adam? Can you prove that God created and intended Adam to struggle in this world that he created? They'll say, no, I don't believe that. But then they go around crucifying the message of prosperity. Okay, but let's kind of look at this. Did God create man to struggle? You said no, you're absolutely right. Say no. Okay, let's look at prosperity. What is prosperity? The American Dictionary defines prosperity as this, to grow, to thrive, to be successful. Say to thrive. 
to flourish, to increase, say to increase, to grow, to thrive, to be successful, to flourish, to increase. So let's look at the original intention of man, Genesis 1, 27 through 28. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, and male and female, he created them. Then look at this, then God blessed them. I want you to see that word. Say he blessed them, because we'll come back to that in a moment of what the blessing of God does in your life. God blessed them, and he said this, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So remember, what was prosperity? It means to grow, to thrive, to be successful, to flourish, to increase. What did God do to man? He blessed them. He gave them the grace. He gave them the command to be fruitful. Say fruitful. Say multiply. So by definition, God blessed man. God created man and blessed him to prosper by definition. The first instruction that man ever received from God was to be fruitful and to multiply. And I'm going to tell you that it's in the, it's in the DNA of every single person. Amen. That was God's perfect will. So Again, God, you can't see that in the Bible, that God created this struggle in life, and that's what a lot of Christians like to glorify. I'll give you the first point tonight. Number one, man was born into abundance, and scarcity was a product of sin and the curse. Man was not born with, with the struggle. Man was not born in the slave system. Man was created by God, blessed by God, and given the capacity to be fruitful and to multiply. Scarcity did not come from God. Poverty did not come from God. In fact, again, it was a product of sin and the curse, Genesis 3, 17 through 19. After Adam sinned, the man, and to the man, he said, God said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat. See, y'all, men, you know, it's not always good to eat everything your wife cooks you, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> eat it. <laughs> Don't say amen too loud. You'll get an elbow to the ribs. He says... Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed. Look at this. It's cursed what? Because of you. So who was, whose fault was it that the ground was cursed? Was it God that cursed the man? No, he said because of you. So what does that show you? The curse never came from God. Sin never came from God. The lack never came from God. Scarcity, poverty, it never came from God. He said, there's a curse, all right, but it's because of you, not because it was my will or my intention or my perfect will for you. So what was a part of this curse? All of your life, you will struggle. Say struggle. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say struggle is a part of the curse. You will struggle and you will scratch a living from it, from what? The ground. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. You will eat its grains by the sweat of your brow. You will have food to eat until you return to the ground for which you were made. For you were made from the dust and from the and, for, uh, and to the dust you will return. Amen. So before this curse, man did not live by the blood and sweat system. The earth naturally provided for man and woman abundantly. Right? 
So basically what God was showing after the curse came, they came under the system where he said by the sweat, by your sweat and by the sweat of your brow, by the blood of your hands, you shall scratch a living from this ground. Before that, man had to work, but it wasn't in this struggle. There was no struggle. The earth just naturally produced for the man and for the woman, right? Hallelujah. Come on. You know, the reason that's important is the Bible, if you study scripture, there's a law called the law of first mention. Whenever you look at the first time something's mentioned in the scripture, you can actually see the purity of God, of his will, of his intentions in that subject. So if all these Christians that wonder, well, maybe God, you know, how many of you know that God, God's not really concerned with, with you prospering here on the earth as long as you make it to heaven? No, that's a violation of the scripture because the first thing he told the man was be fruitful and multiply. There was no scarcity. There was no struggle. Hallelujah. So if struggle is under the curse, remember we said after the curse, a product of it is you will struggle and scratch a living from the ground because you're underneath this curse. So struggles under the curse. So here's the question. Are we under the curse? Look at Galatians chapter 3, 13 through 14. Christ has redeemed us from what? The curse of sin, the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What is that? What does the scripture tell us? That Christ took the curse on himself for us. Hallelujah. So what does that mean? That means that according to the scripture, we're not underneath the curse anymore. You know what that means? Because we're not underneath the curse, what was under the curse? Say struggle. So if we're not under the curse, what does that mean? I don't have to struggle anymore. Come on, if you'll get that in your spirit, that's worth coming tonight. I want you to say it out of your mouth. Say, I don't have to struggle anymore. You need to get that in your spirit. Get it out of you that you think that struggle is just a normal thing. It's just a normal part of life. You know, we're going to go through the mountaintops and then the valley lows. No, your confession needs to be this. I don't have to struggle anymore. I mean, you need to get that. When people start talking, oh, guys, you better get ready. 2023, with that president of ours in there, it's going to be another hard year. Are you all stocked up on canned food? You need to counter that saying, you know what? That's not right. I don't have to struggle anymore. In fact, I refuse to struggle. I won't struggle. Why won't I struggle? Because I don't have to struggle. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Number two. So number one, man was born into abundance and scarcity was a product of sin and the curse. Do you see that in the scripture? Was that ever a part of God's will for man? Nope. Man brought it on himself through sin. Number two. Under prosperity, number two, God made a covenant of provision with his people. God made a covenant of provision with his people. Look at Genesis 17, 1 through 7. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. If you have a note there, you should have a little asterisk unless you have a translation that says it, but the, the actual Hebrew there isn't I am almighty God. It's the name I am, and here's the name of God revealed for the first time, El Shaddai. 
Say, El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant. Say, my covenant. A covenant is an irrevocable promise. You guys understand, in the Old, co- in the old Covenant, right, in the Old Testament, when they made a covenant, they would take an animal, and they would cut that animal in, in halves, slaughter that animal, cut it in halves, put one half right here and one half right here, and each member of the covenant had to walk in between that dead animal. And there were several reasons why we could get into, but you might ask, why? Why did they have to walk in between this dead animal? So that when they walked in the middle and they looked, they saw that death, that they understood this is an irrevocable promise, that this agreement that we're coming into, it's literally till death, right? That's what marriage is supposed to be, till death do us part. It's not supposed to be something we jump in and jump out and, well, I don't love them anymore. No, we look and say, I've died to myself, I've died to my own ambition, I've died to my own will, and I've entered into covenant with this person, and now I've died to me, and I'm going to live through the person in which I've made covenant with. Are y'all with me? So he made this covenant, and part of this covenant, God said, till death, till death do us part. And guys, I'm going to tell you, the Bible says Jesus Christ, he's, he might have died, but he raised him from the dead, and he sits at God's right hand never to die again. What does that mean? Since Jesus is never going to die again, that means this covenant will never be revoked. Thanks for like two people saying amen tonight. Oh my gosh, this is good. This is, cra- this is amazing. This covenant, he says, I am El Shaddai. So he made an irrevocable promise that I will be your El Shaddai. I'll explain what El Shaddai is in a moment. Walk before me and be blameless, and I'll make a covenant between me and you. And what, what is this El Shaddai? What does this covenant consist of? I will multiply you exceedingly. God made a covenant, a promise that's irrevocable, where he said, I'll multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant, say covenant, is with you, and you shall be the father of many nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. And then he goes on to say, part of this covenant, say covenant, what does this covenant consist of? I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Hallelujah. I'll multiply you exceedingly. I'll make you exceedingly fruitful. This is the covenant that I make with you today. Look at this next part. And I'll make, I will make nations of you, and kings shall come for you. Verse, uh, come from you. Verse seven. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you, and their generation. So Abraham was told by God, not only am I making this irrevocable promise to you, I'll make it to your descendants. I'll make it to your children. It's pretty powerful if you'll see where we're going in a minute. For an everlasting covenant, say everlasting, to be God to you and to the descendants after you. So he said, here's the covenant, I am El Shaddai. So what is El Shaddai? This is what El Shaddai means. All-sufficient God, the God of more than enough. Hallelujah. I'm making a covenant with, Ab- with you, Abram, that for the rest of your life, you will see that I am the God of more than enough. Not just enough, more than enough. The breasted one, the many-breasted one. 
the strong nourisher, the satisfier, all bountiful, the supplier of the needs of his people. That word, the many-breasted one, this is amazing here. Studying this out, it's actually a picture, if you think of like a dog. Let's say a dog has eight teats and nine puppies, right? And so what naturally happens is that all, nine puppies, eight teats, there's not enough teats as there is for puppies. And so what naturally happens, the runt of the litter gets left out, right? So the runt of the litter gets malnourished. Sometimes the runt of the litter ends up dying because they can't get substance from the mother because the stronger, bigger ones are, are latched on. But when he says, by the many-breasted one, say the many-breasted one, the, many, the picture that we have is what he's saying is there's always enough. There's not just a little bit, and whoever gets it gets it. For every single person, there is enough provision. I have enough provision for every single person, not one person left out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say there's always enough. Why? Because he is the all-bountiful, the supplier, the nourisher, the satisfier, the God of more than enough, the many-breasted God. God made a covenant to multiply Abraham exceedingly and make him extremely fruitful. So this was not only an irrevocable promise to Abraham, as I said a moment ago, but to his descendants. Say his descendants. Who are Abraham's descendants according to the scripture? I don't know if you asked that, but Galatians chapter 3, 29. And if you belong to Christ, anybody in here belong to Christ? If you belong to Christ, it says if you are in him, then you are Abraham's descendants and spiritual heirs according to God's promise. So God made a promise, literally, I will multiply you exceedingly, I will make you exceedingly fruitful because I am El Shaddai. He made that promise to Abraham's descendants, and the Bible says that I am the descendant of Abraham in Christ. Hallelujah. Doesn't that just destroy that, the, the stupid argument that, well, prosperity is an American gospel. Are you, why don't you just read the Bible for five minutes? You'll see that that's absolutely not the case. What part of ex, ex, exceedingly fruitful and multiply you exceedingly do you get poverty? What part, what, in which of those words does it paint the picture of poverty? It doesn't. Say it doesn't. <laughs> Hallelujah. So God has made an irrevocable promise to multiply me exceedingly and make me extremely fruitful. I want you to say that. Say this, that God has made an irrevocable promise to multiply me exceedingly and to make me exceedingly fruitful. Hallelujah. So, you know, that always, that takes out the guesswork, and I'll cover this from another angle, but if you understand that, you never have to question if it's God's will. Well, we're going through a season of obscurity right now. We're going through the, the test. We're going through the valley, right? God had to lead the Israelites into the wilderness before he could take them into the promised land. No, in Christ, we've been brought into the promised land. Now, we don't have to go back through the, the wilderness experience. In Christ, 
right? Think of even the name, Joshua. Who was, Joshua was the one that led the children of Israel into the promised land. Jesus' name in English, it's Jesus, but it, even in Hebrew, it's Yeshua. It's where you get the name Joshua. Joshua was a picture of Christ. Christ brought us. The law was where the, the valley in the, in, the, in the wilderness, but Christ brought us into the promised land. So that means we're not in the wilderness, we're in the promised land. We're not in lack, we're in the land overflowing with milk and honey. All the time, every time. You know, you understand, it's a covenant that God made. It's irrevocable. It's a covenant that God made. It belongs to you all the time, every time. Think about the woman that Jesus healed on the Sabbath day. It says that she had been crippled over for multiple, multiple years. I don't, I don't remember if it was eight years or 18 years. But a woman had been crippled over, and Jesus went to heal her on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees began to rebuke him and say, who do you think you are? You can't heal this woman. This is the Sabbath day. And you know what his statement was? She's a daughter of Abraham. What does that mean? Listen, Pharisees, I can because it already belongs to her. It belongs to her because it's a covenant that God's made with her. So I want you to understand prosperity, exceedingly fruitful, exceeding multiplication, it belongs to you. It's a covenant birthright. Hallelujah. Man, praise God. So God made a covenant Say covenant. God made a covenant of provision with his people. Another place this is in the scripture is Genesis twenty-two fourteen. Abraham named the place. This is when he was going to sacrifice uh, Isaac on the mountain, and the Lord provided a ram. And when, when he got the Lord's provision, Abraham na- named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. That's where we get the name Jehovah Jireh. Say Jireh. The Lord will. Say will. You need to understand that. Not maybe, oh, well, if he says yes and is he, if he says no. No, the Lord will provide. That word will means absolutely, without doubt, without question. How can we be so sure that God will do it? Because he made a promise, an irrevocable blood covenant that we've been brought into. In order for God to violate that covenant, he has to take his own life. If God violates that covenant according to how covenants work, we actually have the right to take his life. You know, that's how those covenants work. When they made a covenant, it was for life. And if you violated the covenant, the other party had a right to a claim to your life. God can never revoke his covenant. So he said, The Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh. To this day, people still use the name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Hallelujah. Another uh, meaning of this word, Jehovah Jireh, not only the Lord will provide, it means the Lord will see to it. Praise God. When you understand that, the Lord will see to it, now you'll get a picture of what Jesus said. Don't worry about what you eat. Don't worry about what you drink. Don't worry about the clothes that you wear. These are the thoughts of what? Of unbelievers. These are the thoughts of people that aren't in covenant with God, but once you're in covenant with God, you don't even have to think about these things any longer. Why? Because God has already sworn to it by himself that he will see to it. See, these people that say, well, prosperity is not in the Bible, I don't know if they've ever listened to somebody that actually knows where prosperity is in the Bible, right? (laughs) 
Not just me. I mean, it's just, it's all through, it's so embedded in the word of God. It's unescapable. So, you know, what's interesting as well is that if you study that passage in Genesis 22, as Abraham was leading Isaac up the mountain, what did he tell the servant? I know if you haven't read it, it's okay, follow me. But if you've studied the scripture, anybody in here a, a student of the scripture? He told the servant, me and the boy will be back. But how? How did he know that? How did he have that assurance, though God told him to go sacrifice his son? How did he have that confidence to tell the servant that me and my son will be back, even though the Lord told him to go sacrifice him? Because this happened in Genesis 22. But in in Genesis 17, five chapters before, God revealed himself as El Shaddai, right? So what does that mean? Abraham went into that situation with the confidence that God was the supplier, that God would supply the need. He didn't question it at all. He knew, although that's the word he received, that my God shall supply. And by Abraham's faith, God supplied a sacrifice so that he did not have to sacrifice his son. Hallelujah. So ultimately, why did Abraham tell the servant that? Because he believed that God would do what he said he would do in Genesis chapter 17. Let me ask you a question in here. Do you believe that God will do what he said in his word? Hallelujah. Come on, say yes. Hallelujah. Now, I want you to think of any material need that you have in your life right now. Any any need. And I want you to say this. Say, the Lord has seen to it. Because remember, in the old covenant, they said the Lord will see to it. But think about what the Bible says in the new covenant. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. A lot of you know this verse because I preach out of it a lot, especially this year. But it says, For Christ Jesus, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you. As God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. If it's in this word, he'll do it because he's a covenant God. For Christ's, all of Christ's promises, what? Have been fulfilled in Christ with the resounding yes. And through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for, for his glory. So you don't even have to look at your material needs and say the Lord will see to it. No, that's hoping. You say the Lord already has seen to it. I already have it in Christ. I already have, I have the capacity to have anything that I need or might require in this life. All I have to do is get a strategy from God or, or get my faith set and possess what God has already given to me according to the word. Hallelujah. So say the Lord has seen to it. Praise God. Anytime the devil tries, I actually read this, Kenneth Copeland. He said every attack, anytime that symptoms come on on your body, it's not just an attack on you, it's an attack on the word of God. Why? Because the word says you're healed. So the enemy's not just attacking you, he's attacking the word of God. He's really trying to even get you to question, did the Lord really say just like he did to Jesus? It's an attack on the word. And anytime lack tries to come up in your life. It's not just an attack on you. It's an attack on the word of God. Hallelujah. And guess what? We don't have to put up with it. Praise God for that. 
Okay, so about another angle of prosperity. Number three tonight. Y'all getting something out of this? Number three, Jesus modeled that God is the abundant supplier of his people. So we looked at old covenant examples. Now let's look at the ministry of Jesus. Look at John chapter 2, 2 through 10. The Bible says this. This was the first miracle Jesus ever did. It says, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. But the mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars. This is actually, this has historical relevance. Uh, it's historically relevant. Six stone water jars, the Bible says. And so, and it says this, each could hold 20 to 30 gallons of water. Think about that. So if you have six and each one holds at least 20, possibly 30, what does that show you? Six times 20 is what? 120. Six times 30 is 180. So this is like between 120 and 180 gallons. Not glasses, gallons. Guys, gallons. Have you ever got a gallon of milk? Can you imagine 180 gallons of wine? It's absolutely insane, right? Absurd. Um, so each of them, there were six of them. And he goes on and says, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. And when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over and said, a host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone else has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best, say the best, until now. So again, you think about that. There was 120 to 180 gallons. Of, does it say of the cheapest wine? No, it says of the absolute best wine. Say the best. So obviously, why, right? Why? Like that's absurd. There's no way that they needed that many gallons of wine. Especially they had already been drinking at this party, Right? This wasn't even preparing for an event that was yet to come. This was like cleaning up an event that already started. So it was just absolutely absurd. It was absolutely ridiculous. What was God actually trying to display? This was the first miracle Jesus ever did. The first. So that he was showing that God is not just the God of just enough. He is the God of abundant provision. El Shaddai. Jehovah Jireh. That was the first impression that God, that Jesus wanted to make on the people. Listen, you Jews, you remember the stories about El Shaddai and Abraham and, and all of these covenant things that took place? I am he. El Shaddai is now here among you. That was the first thing that he wanted to reveal to the people. Don't you think that's interesting? It wasn't a healing. It wasn't casting out a demon. It was a miracle of abundant provision. He, that's how he chose to reveal himself to the people for the first time. Hallelujah. So what does that actually show you? On levels of importance, it's extremely important that we know God as our abundant provider. 
Not our adequate provider, abundant provider. Hallelujah. Look at the fish in the boat. Jesus' first encounter with Peter. Look over here at Luke 5, 4 through 7. The first time Peter ever encountered Jesus, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, we worked hard all last night, didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let down my nets again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. And a shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of seeking. Not seeking, sinking with an eye. Hallelujah. So again, the same question, why the excess? Why? Why, why, so, why? why not just, they caught nothing, right? Jesus could have just gave them a couple of fish, and it would have been a miracle. He said, throw your nets over. If they would have caught 10 fish, it would have been like, oh, my gosh, wow, that's a miracle. We didn't catch anything until you spoke the word, literally. I would, I would think that was a miracle. If I had been fishing in a pond all night long and a prophet walked up and said, throw out your line, and I just went snag, 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 and caught three fish, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, this is a prophet of God. But yet Jesus had a boat literally sinking. It was so full of fish. Bring out another boat. What happens? Now it's sinking, literally, because it's so heavy, so full of fish. Why? He's making the impression. He's, he's making the statement that he was revealing himself as the God of abundant provision. Say abundant provision. Abundant provision. Abundant provision. Hallelujah. You know, I've stopped get, I've started getting that stuff out of my mouth. I don't like to talk about how much things cost. I, I should say this. If we talk, I mean, you got to be, you live in this world. You have to talk about how much things cost. I don't like to complain about how much things cost. If I can't afford it, if I, I should say this, because that's not even the right words. If I don't have it in my hand at that time, don't go complaining about how expensive that is. That's actually speaking unbelief about the covenant that you're in. Right? Don't go complaining about, well, you know, can you believe how much eggs cost? You believe how much milk is? Who cares? We're not the, we don't serve the God of adequate provision. We serve El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh. Hallelujah. That means what? There's always enough. That means it doesn't matter. If they jack up eggs to $99 for a carton of eggs, guess what? There is always enough provision that comes from the Lord. Praise God. So get that kind of talk. Get that kind of unbelief. Stop putting more faith in the, the, the harsh economical climate and put your faith in the God of the Bible. You can know where a person's heart is by the words that come out of their mouth. And when people walk around and complaining and unbelief and, you know, God's not ignorant. He knows how much things cost. I mean, I've heard people say things like, because me and my wife, we're going to go to Tampa again at the end of January. And I've had ministers who have been watching Dr. Rodney for years that will reach out and say things like, well, I would go, but I can't afford the plane ticket. Why not? Use your faith. You know, does God not have provision for a plane ticket? No, he does because why? There's always provision. He's the many-breasted God. He's the nourisher. He's the supplier. 
He supplies what? Some of my needs? No, all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Maybe y'all know this. I don't know. But when studying for this, it just set my faith again like, Lord, oh, man, I'm so done with lack in my life. Hallelujah. I'm going to walk in the overflowing blessing of God, and I'm not going to apologize for it. Look how Jesus also revealed himself. You have the wine. You have the the boat sinking. Now look when he feeds the 4,000 and the 5,000. Both stories have the same example. Then Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks to God, and he distributed them to the people. And afterwards, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. And everyone was full. And Jesus told his disciples, now go gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. I've often thought about this, like God, he knows all things. He knows the size of your stomach. He made your stomach. He knows exactly how much bread and fish you need to eat in order to not die in the desert, right? These people had been following him for days. And the Lord knew. He's all-knowing. He knew if I, I mean, he could have rationed it up. If I give them this many ounces of fish with this big of a piece of bread, this will actually nourish their body just enough so that they don't drop dead in this desert. But is that what he did? No, he multiplied it till they were filled. They ate as much as they wanted. Say, as much as I wanted. So you need to break out of the religious box, and you need to stop thinking that God, well, he'll help me with the important things. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, and what? He'll give you the desires of your heart. There's not only enough provision for the basic necessities, according to the Scripture. They ate until they were filled, and not only until they were filled, he could have stopped there. He intentionally multiplied enough where there was 12 baskets of leftovers, For what reason? To just simply reaffirm the fact of I am El Shaddai. It's who I am. Hallelujah. Praise God. I want to get to this in the last few moments of the sermon tonight. I'll give you three. I know if you've been in this church, but we have a couple people online that haven't heard this, and I'm going to give you three irrefutable facts that I don't care who preaches against prosperity, they cannot deny these three facts in the scripture. Three reasons why anyone can tap into prosperity. Say anyone. That means you, that means me. Number one, prosperity always follows obedience to the word. According to the scripture. You look at Deuteronomy 28. Again, guys, I'm telling you, there's people that are like, I don't believe that. That's the American message. That's the American gospel. But you cannot scripturally prove or disprove this statement that according to the word of God, every time that God gave a command to follow his word, there was always a guarantee of prosperity that came behind it. Look at Deuteronomy 28, for example. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep his commands I'm giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience these blessings if, say if, you obey the Lord your God. He said your towns will be blessed, your fields will be blessed, your children, your crops, your offspring, your herds, the fruit baskets, your breadboards, wherever you go, whatever you do, the Lord will open up his, his windows. He'll open up from the rich treasury in heavens and pour out a blessing. He'll bless all the work of your hand. The Bible says, let's see here. 
The Lord will bless you in the land that he's giving you. The Lord will give you prosperity in the land with numerous children and livestock and abundant crops. This is where it's at. The Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in the heavens and will bless all the work that you do. You'll lend to many. You'll never need to borrow from them if you listen to the commands of the Lord your God and carefully obey them. The Lord will make you the head and never the tail. He will always be on top and never at the bottom, but you must not turn away from any of the commands I'm giving you today, nor follow after other gods and serve them. Hallelujah. Look at Joshua chapter 1. Be strong and courageous. Be very careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or the left. Then, say then, you will be successful in everything that you do. Study this book of instruction continually and meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. One last verse for this point, Psalms 1, 1 through 3. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate on it, uh, meditating on it day and night. They will be like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. Their leaves will never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. So listen, there's people that say, I don't believe in prosperity. But when you read the Bible, the Bible says if you obey the Bible, you will walk in prosperity. You can't refute it. You can't deny it. You have to throw it out. I don't believe in prosperity. Really? Because obedience, according to the Bible, produces prosperity. Hallelujah. Prosperity is the fruit of obedience. You will prosper. Spiritually prosper? No. Flocks, herds, breadboards, towns, children, work. You'll abundantly prosper in material goods. You see why the devil wants to put this sloppy? I mean, not only to send people to hell, but to just promote this sloppy gospel, this, this sloppy way. It doesn't matter what you do because it's causing people to walk in disobedience. And what does it cause them? Ultimately, not only is it threaten them of hell, but it keeps them underneath the bondage of the enemy in a slave system. So number one, prosperity always follows obedience to the word. Number two, the blessing of the Lord produces prosperity according to the word of God. Look at Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord, what? Makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. There's this thing called the blessing, and something that's irrefutable in the scripture, if you can get a hold of this thing called the blessing, the blessing that you get a hold of, this thing called the blessing, it will actually make you rich, the Bible says. It will produce it in you. It will produce it through you by its own nature. Some examples of some that, that possess the blessing, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. You can even research this. Type it on Google. The Lord blessed Abraham, and this will show you. In Genesis 12, this is the first time the Lord blessed Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham, Abram, leave your native country and relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, say bless you, and make you famous. You will be a blessing to others. I'll bless those that bless you and curse those that treat you with contempt. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through 
you. Okay, so in Genesis 12, God blessed Abraham, right? What did we just read? The blessing what? The blessing what? Makes a person rich. What happened to Abraham the next chapter, Genesis 13? Abraham left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev along with his wife uh, and Lot and all that they owned. Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. What did the blessing do for Abraham? Made him rich. Let's look at Isaac. The blessing was on Isaac. Remember, God made a covenant to Abram that I'll bless you, but not only will I be Jehovah Jireh for you or El Shaddai for you, but the descendants, your children. Look at Isaac. Isaac sowed in the land, and in that year, that same year, he reaped a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Say he blessed him. So Isaac got a hold of this thing called the blessing of God, and what did it produce? The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. Man, you, I don't like prosperity. It's used three times in that one verse. Prosper, prosper, prosperous. Hallelujah. Well, so Isaac got a hold of the blessing. Look at Jacob. The Lord blessed Jacob, and as a result, Jacob became very wealthy with large flocks of sheep and goats and female and male servants and many camels and donkeys. Hallelujah. Now I want you to get this point tonight. We have the blessing that makes a man rich and adds no sorrow. Right? The blessing does this to a person. It did it to Abraham. It did it to Isaac. It did it to Jacob. So if, if we can get a hold of this thing called the blessing, it'll make us rich and add no sorrow with it. But the Bible says in Ephesians 1, 3, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has what? He's blessed us. What does the blessing do? Makes a man rich. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. I want you to say, I have the blessing. Galatians 3.29. I told y'all it was going to be a lot of scripture tonight. Right? Isn't this better, though, than me throwing like one verse at you and take my word for it? Galatians 3.29. And now that you belong to Christ... You are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Hallelujah. The blessing of Abraham belongs to us. Hallelujah. Number three, irrefutable. So we said, number one, obedience produces prosperity. So Good news, y'all. Obey this word. Do what it says. I tell people, I love to bless people at this church. I love to give money out to people through this church. I love to help people, and I love to tell them this. It pays to serve God. I'm telling you, the most valuable thing, not just because you'll go to heaven, the most valuable thing that you could ever do is seek first the kingdom of heaven. It's, uh, it has to shift in your mind where it's, all oh, I don't want to go to church, and I don't... You know, I would understand. I, I think about that sometimes. I'm like, you know, if I went to some dead, boring church, like I would probably feel the same way. This ain't a dead, boring church. Amen. At least you know one thing. You're going to get the Bible if you come in here. And, and, and I'm telling you, the devil tries to convince you, well, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And he tries to get you in disobedience. But I'm telling you, if you'll just die to all that and obey the word of God at all costs, right, 
Get to church. Serve the Lord. Get in God's plan for your life. Begin to, we'll talk about this in a moment, tithe and give offerings. Walk in the ways of the Lord and you will prosper. It's impossible for you to not prosper. You know how many seasons of my life that lack, if that's what you want to call a season of lack, tried to come in. And, and I looked at my life and I said, Lord, I'm obeying this word. I'm doing exactly what you called me to do. So you know what that means? That I don't have to put up with this lack. It's impossible for me to lack. According to your word, it is impossible for me to struggle. It is impossible, according to your word, for my account to run to zero. It's absolutely impossible if I look at this word. And I'm telling you, standing in faith in that way every single time brought us out of that situation. We'd see provision come in from the north, south, east, and west and meet the, not even the need, above the need. Hallelujah. How many times, honey, has that happened in our life? How many times? I mean, more times than we could count. So here's the third irrefutable fact. For people that say, I don't like prosperity, that's an American thing. Well, number three, here's an irrefutable fact according to the Bible. Everywhere that the Bible instructs to tithe and give, the guarantee of overflowing finances follows. Everywhere that the Bible instructs to tithe and give, the guarantee of overflowing finances follows. Again, I don't like that. I don't believe that. What? Well, how can you disprove? Well, that's an American gospel. You know, it's crazy. There's people that, that will go around crucifying the message of prosperity, but because of their, their very religious people, they actually tithe and give. And you know what happens? God prospers them. Saying they're living in a nice house. They're living, they have a nice setup. And, and, and it's like you can't even acknowledge the fact you're hating on prosperity, but God's literally prospered you. Some of the preachers that persecute prosperity the most that you see are, look at, Google their names, right? Google their names and the net worth beside it, and they're worth millions and millions of dollars. You're like, what's wrong with you? Are you special? I don't like that prosperity gospel. Really? Why you go home to a 10,000 square foot house with millions of dollars in your bank account? Praise God for it. But... That just doesn't make sense. Are you with me? And ultimately, I mean, I can't question why a man does what he does, but it's like, why do you preach that message? Because there's a whole group of people in the world that eat that message up, and there's a market for it. That may not be everybody, but I'm telling you, you got to think about that. Okay, y'all still with me? Everywhere the Bible instructs to tithe and give, this is my last point tonight, the guarantee of overflowing finances follows. Look at Malachi chapter 3, 9 through 11. God said, you're under a curse for your whole nation's been cheating me. Bring all the tithes, say the tithes, into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant. I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Hallelujah. So it's, I don't believe in prosperity. Well, if you're a tither, then the Bible guarantees you prosperity. Is it not what that says? Is that not what that says? No, it is what that says. Proverbs chapter 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord 
with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so that, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Hallelujah. Say overflow. Luke 6, 38, give in the King James, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. You know, here's another statement. Did you know, I'm going to get real bold here. Did you know that if you're a, a, a covenant member and you refuse the tithe, you know what you're actually doing? That God, well, Lord, you just help me with this, all right? But this is true. Okay, it's, it's absolutely true. If you just hate me and you go somewhere else, I really hope that you don't. But I'll tell you, carry this with you. If you're a covenant member and you refuse to tithe, do you know that God has instituted the man and woman of God, the ministry's provision to come through you? According to the word, how does God supply his pastors? How does God supply his workers through the people, through the tithe? So what are you actually doing when you refuse the tithe? You're withholding provision from another man. You're withholding someone's paycheck. You're withholding someone's food. You know, the church used to have this mentality, Lord, you keep them humble and we'll keep them poor. When you actually refuse to honor God in that way, you're withholding from another person of what God has instituted in his word. And guess what? The Bible says, what you do to, un- to others, God will do unto you. What you sow, that you shall also reap. So if you become a person that's a non-tither and you're withholding from what God has instituted, guess what you'll reap in your life? It will be withheld from you. Hallelujah. Luke, he says men. You know, the Bible says this in Ephesians. It says... That which you do unto others, the Lord will do unto you. Don't you think that that's amazing? That God says give, and what, he, what will he do? Shall men give into your bosom. When you become a giver, God will actually begin to speak to other people to help you out. God will begin to literally send people into your life that will give to you. Isn't that amazing? God will begin to send people into your life that have no business. In the natural, they should have no interest in you whatsoever. It's like you're not qualified. You don't have the skills. You don't have the education. You don't have whatever. And there's a favor that comes on your life where God begins to send them into your life for the intentions of giving to you. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 12. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But each... Uh, But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously, what? What's the promise attached to the command to give? God will generously provide all that you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and bread to eat, and in the same way he will provide, say he'll provide. Not only will he provide, but increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be what? enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So what does the Bible say? When you begin to give, 
God will what, do exactly what Jesus said, cause it to be pressed down, shaken together, multiplied. Not only will he provide your need, he will increase you. Say increase. So God's method of increase, is anybody interested in increase in here? God's method of increase, according to the scripture, comes through giving. Giving is the New Testament method that God instituted for our increase. When we give, what happens? God causes it to not only come back, but causes it to come back increase to us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That's why you need to, you know, you don't need to tune out. You don't need to harden your heart. Well, that church, they take up tithes, they teach on the tithe and the offering. Yeah, because it's literally the key to increase to you. It's God's key to increase for your family. And believe it or not, we want you blessed. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So three reasons why anyone can tap into prosperity. Prosperity always follows obedience to the word. The blessing of the Lord produces prosperity. And then number three. We said everywhere the Bible instructs to tithe and give, the guarantee of overflowing finances follows. Anyone can do these things, and they will tap into financial prosperity. Come on, just praise God for that tonight. Come on, lift your voice. Give the Lord a shout. Hallelujah. I'm just going to pronounce it over your life tonight. Thank you for coming. I'll let you guys get, get home and get your kids to bed and whatnot. But let's lift your hands to the Lord right now. Father, I thank you, and I declare, according to your word, these people are blessed in Jesus' name. They are blessed with the blessing of God in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. If you believe that and you receive it, just give the Lord one more shout of praise tonight. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.